Galatians. Galatians is a it's deceptively short and just seems kind of easy the first time through. But there's been a lot lot going on, um, as as you know, and I, I won't try to recap the whole letter. Um, but Paul had taught in these churches over a large region, and then he'd had to go away because he was continuing on and he was teaching elsewhere. And folks had come in behind him, and they'd started teaching things that were not so. They tried to tell the people there that uh, you have to do some aspects of the law in order to be delivered, to be saved, to be safe. Um, Some would say that you have to be circumcised. Others would say you'd have to keep dietary restrictions, or you've got to observe the Sabbath days, or the new moons, or the the feast days, just kind of picking and choosing. Um, Some would even say, well, yeah, this is no different than what Paul would teach. And so Paul was having to write this letter to correct course of saying, I never said those things. Um, I never believed those things. I wasn't taught by anything. This is not a doctrine that can change. This is what was directly revealed to me by Jesus Christ. That's what made him an apostle. He was called by God himself to be his witness. Um, And so he proceeds to go through the book um, really knocking down any argument that they could have for adding things to the work of Christ. Christ's work is sufficient, is complete in its entirety. In and of himself, he completed the work of salvation. That's your big takeaway from this. Now, Dealing that because we're dealing with humans, we often jump from one ditch to the other. So ditch number one is you're over here thinking that your actions must you must do in order to get to heaven. Alright, that's what the ditch they were in. So we say no, pull out of that ditch. What's the ditch on the other side? Well then it doesn't matter at all what I do. I can live any old way. There's no, no reason I should live any other difference. And that's, that's the other, other ditch. Yes, Christ's work is complete. It is sufficient. Your eternal home is secure and purchased by his work. But that does not give you the license to willfully, continually live a life of sin and vanity and grotesqueness. Because it's vile. He who's called you out of that life, you, you used to do that. We all used to do that. That's what the term dead and trespasses and sins talking about is the time before the Lord gave you life, that was all you were. And you enjoyed it. You didn't have the, the conscience or the conviction of the Holy Spirit um, berating you. Y'all ever just felt really, really awful by the Lord when you, you've done wrong? You know you've done wrong. Right? That's a blessing that you've got that. And so we don't stay there. We don't go and live in this ditch. And and the way he describes it here is he says there's, there's, there's two aspects that you can pursue in life. Those that please your flesh, your meat, your carnal, your body, right? And those are all the things over in that ditch. The sin, the vileness, the impurity. Or 
you can pursue the things of the Lord. And that, what you know about the Lord, you know because His Holy Spirit is within you and He's revealed it to you by His Holy Spirit. So it describes that as being things of the Spirit. All right? And you get these long list of things, unless you've got any confusion. Now, most of us, we don't. Sometimes we'll act like we do, but we know when we're doing wrong. He gives a long list of these are the things that don't please God, that don't glorify Him. Don't do them. And then he gives you another list, and this is at the end of Galatians chapter 5, that says these are the things that the Holy Spirit will lead you to do. And these are things that are produced by actions when you're pursuing the Spirit. So is my conduct leading to strife and envy and enmity and hatred and anger? Guess what? That's not the Holy Spirit leading you. You're not pursuing things of the Spirit. If that's what's being produced in you and others, but if you're doing things that lead to joy and peace and unity, I mean long-suffering, goodness, all these things, you can see you've got these kind of two big categories. It's one or the other. So his first correction in this letter is pulling them out of the ditch of thinking that you have to add your works to Christ's work. No. His work is secure. But now, as you're living here, what do you do? He pulls them out of the other ditch, even if they're already there, or just the guardrail to prevent it. Don't think that you can just live any old way. You won't walk well with the Lord when you do that. Remember Enoch? He walked with God, right? He he pleased God. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Are you going to convince God to change to your opinion? Does God change? But we often talk to him like, hey, just come on and come down here. Let me do what I want to do anyway. You just change. That's not how it works. As we're growing up in our walk with the Lord, he stays the same. We conform to him. We transform to be look like him. And so Paul's giving you, this is what the model is. This is what it looks like. Okay? If we live in the Spirit, and that means, are you alive? Are you alive in the Holy Spirit? Have you been born again? If so, if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's Galatians 5 and 25. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means you live it out in your life. What you say. How you talk to people. How you talk about people. I mean, dangerous on that one, just in general. What do I spend my time consuming with my eyes, TV and media and social media, with my ears, music choices, programs? How do I spend my time? Am I feeding the fleshly aspect of my nature? Because you've still got that old sin nature. He's there, and you can feed him. And you do feed him. And unless you're careful, you feed him a lot. He's your default. All right? That's what you slip into when you're not focused and diligent and trying to pursue the Lord. That's what you slip into. All right? He's always there. You're going to carry him for the rest of your life. Want to know one of the great things about heaven? He goes away. Not there anymore. That hope of righteousness we talked about, it's not establishing my own righteousness here. Look, I'm good enough now. Oh, I can't be good enough now. That's why Christ's work is so great. He was good enough 
and I get, he puts that credit on me for his goodness. But one day, we will be free from that. We'll be free from that old sin, vile nature that corrupts and taints everything we do. And so there is a battle within you. Expect that. Don't be discouraged if there's a battle and don't give up if there's a battle. Sometimes we have the idea of, Lord, just take this temptation away from me. He can choose to do that. He's done that. I know Brother Terry's talking about that once in his life. That's kind of the exception. <laughs> I think most people, you have to continue to struggle with it. Not saying you continue to give into it. There's a difference. But you can continue to be tempted. Y'all, I used to drink. Not to great excess. One, two a night, maybe. Three or four days a week. I wasn't getting drunk. But I was using that as a crutch because I was stressed at work or whatever. I got convicted about that. I haven't drank in five or six years. I still will have a desire to have one. Now, that temptation hasn't gone away. Have I given into it? No. Here's the finer discernment thing. Would it really be a sin if I had one? No, it wouldn't. But is that best for me and for you if I do? I have to think big picture. Is it best for me? No. Because opening that door a little bit makes it easier to go another time and another time and another time. And what example am I setting for my children in my house and for y'all? Right? One of the qualifications to be pastors, you're not given to wine. Right? Deacons, you're not given to much wine. So he's got a little bit more leeway there. But how can I live that out? Well, the easiest way and the brightest way I can live that out is I don't drink at all. Okay? That's because of my love for the Lord and my concern and care for the position that I'm put in. You say, why are you talking about this? I'm giving you an example. One example. We've all got a life that we have where you can apply your own example. There are things that we will be tempted with because of our old sin nature. The things that tempt you, you know, that big, shiny, new tractor that you don't really need that's going to put you into so much debt or whatever, right? The things that tempt you may not tempt me at all, all right? That doesn't mean they're not still a temptation that you need to battle with. I can't be harsh. Well, I don't see why you... Right? right? Sometimes we look down our noses because the things that someone else struggles with, they don't bother us. Right? And so both those who are tempted and those who are encouraging need to be full of grace. One, recognizing our own weakness. And two, being grace and encouraging with others. Not looking down on folks because they're struggling with something different okay and there's a difference between acknowledging that you're struggling with something and just giving into it over and over and over and over again right that's not really battling it right if you just continually give into your temptation right are you making any progress <laughs> no so all that leads up to is if we live in the spirit if you're born again if Jesus Christ has given you life 
You're a child of the king. He said, this is the way a king's child should act. Let's start striving to live that out. Now, chapter 6 starts with brethren. He's talking to the the church. Brothers and sisters, those within the church. If a man be overtaken in a fault. Okay. This... Let me just read the rest of the verse and then we'll come back. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now, the focus that we tend to put on this verse is about the guy who got overtaken with the fault. That's really not the focus of the verse. It's about the attitude of those who are in the restoration process. But let's talk about the overtaking of the fault. All right. Sometimes we try to put this on a category. Well, this is somebody who's done something so bad they've been excluded from the church. And that's all that's going on. Nope. All right. One who's overtaken with a fault. This is any area where you and I are not on course. All right. Maybe you're distracted. Right. We're supposed to be vigilant. Right. Our heads on the swivel. We're focused. We're sober-minded. If you're distracted, are you being sober-minded and vigilant? No. Would you want a prison guard who is distracted and scrolling on the phone instead of watching the wall? Right? Pure. Dad was telling me that um, at Jackson, where David Coffin used to be uh, in the prison system or whatever, um, that they only have a one-legged stool up in the guard tower. You can sit down, but you got one leg. What happens if you fall asleep? <laughs> you hit the floor. Right? So not distracted. So um, that could be a fault. You're, you're scrolling. What? Okay, here's a question for you. You want to be convicted? Your non-structured hours. What is your default? What do you waste time on? Younger folks, it tends to be this. Older folks, it may be this. Other folks, it could be reading fluff or, or whatever, right? If you can find 10 hours in a week to do whatever that default is, and yet you tell yourself, I can't find an hour in a week to read my Bible, you're distracted, right? Your priorities are off, okay? Uh, Overtaken in a fault. How about about I'm worried or I'm fearful? Well, what are those both a symptom of? Who are you not trusting? Right. Is that a fault? Yeah. Um, how about if I've allowed anger and bitterness and then resent, resentment to dwell within me? Where, where on that list did that fall? Is that carnal or is that spiritual? That's carnal. That's your flesh, right? If you're dwelling in anger and bitterness and resentment, overtaken in a fault. Um. What if I'm just I'm just I'm just uncommitted in my walk? I'm inconsistent. You know, it's kind of one step forward, then I stop stop walking. One step forward, then I just stop walking. Right? Are you going to make it very far if that's your pace for the marathon? Right? You got folks finishing the 26 miles and you're on like step 10. Right? Uh, what about overindulgence? If I overindulge my desire. Uh, whether it's in work or play or rest. That's kind of our big three categories of life, right? I'm either either working or I'm resting or I'm playing, 
None of those individually are bad. You need to rest. You need to work. You need to have some kind of downtime and, and, and wreck. But overindulging in any of those is wrong. Okay? Right? So fault is a broad category, right? Y'all, are, how many perfect people we got sitting in the room? Show of hands. Okay? Right. So there are all areas of life where we can be overtaken in a fault. This is the beauty of the church is that, remember this verse is directed to the folks around you. It's not your own particular fault that's being instructed. Brethren, if a man be overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, I'm not talking to those who are walking in the flesh, the ones who are living out the fleshly lives, the one who, who may not even be born again. I'm not talking to them. Yous which are spiritual, you which claim to be born again, living in the spirit, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. This does not mean, this is not limited to just putting them back into the church if they've been excluded. Restore means to mend, to repair, to complete thoroughly. Okay, so you've got um, that word is, is used elsewhere when um, uh, the two brothers are mending their father's nets. The sons of Zebedee, mending, same word, restore. They're repairing these nets. Um, Out of the mouth of babes, thou hast perfected. Praise, same word, perfected. We've got a, a complete, thoroughly. Um, let's see. There's one over in Luke six, um, talking about a servant that he should be perfect, like his master. It refers to to maturity. All right. So the idea of restoration is not just limited to you were on the outside of the church and now you're allowed back in. This is the idea of how do we help each other. How do we mend and repair and cause each other to grow more mature, more like Christ? This is the mutual aid and encouragement in our, our walk together. All right? So you've got one who's among you, got a fault. We all got faults. You who are spiritual, work with them, mend with them in a spirit of meekness gentleness and humility right it is very easy to look down my nose i can see your faults and i'm going to tell you what you need to do and i can be proud and arrogant and hard-hearted and i'm wrong i may be saying the right things that you need to do that may be true but the attitude what is the spirit that we have as we're doing it Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, humility, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, which that means tested. All right? So they're struggling with something. They've, they've just been overtaken in that fault. Right? And you're trying to work with them. Do it with the spirit of meekness. Of, guess what, Bubba? You're no better. If the Lord tests you tomorrow on the areas that you're really tempted by, right? if that... That tractor just pulls up and says, here, it's a 20% discount. You really don't need it, right? Tomorrow, you may have a different temptation, right? You may be tempted, whereas today you're trying to help someone else in something they're struggling with, right? This is about our attitude as we minister to one another, okay? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So again, gentleness, humility, Considering thyself, this is practical ramifications, right? You start doing things in pride, 
What does the Lord tend to do? Knock you off your perch. Right? You built yourself a tower to look down on folks. He will kick that thing down. Right? Our pride does not bring glory to God. Right? Our pride brings glory to ourselves. And that ain't good. Right? That's walking in the spirit. That's that envying and strife and seditions and all those things where it makes the focus on us. Alright? So continuing that thought, it's bear ye one another's burdens. And that burdens there means weights. You're caring for one another. You've both got, um, we've all have burdens and weights. Bear them together and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Remember when Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that ye love one another as I have loved you? The previous one that's already been revealed was love the Lord your God with everything you got heart, soul, mind, body. Next one was love everybody, right? Neighbors. Whether you like them or not, neighbors, love them as much as you love yourself. And then the new commandment was love your brothers and sisters as much as Christ has loved you. And so if he's commanded you to do that, and y'all have got weights and burdens among each other, talking about these faults and how do we bear each other up, right? We're to bear with each other, right? And that fruit of the Spirit, love, doing that thing, motivated by love. Love in action, not just in words. Joy, peace, long-suffering, right? Because guess what? Your best effort in yourself and with someone else Guess how many sinners are still going to be involved involved in that transaction when you're done? Two. Is the result ever going to be perfect? No. Will the results ever just stick and be done? You don't have to address it again. Odds are no. <laughs> right? Long-suffering. We need to be long-suffering to others because we need folks to be long-suffering with us. Right? And that's the whole point is that we have to approach it with humility of recognizing that we're just as weak. All right, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For, it's talking about that attitude again, for if a man think himself to be something, check out the, the you got commas there. It's called a positive. This is giving you some additional information. It says, when he is nothing. All right? Is God a respecter of persons? Does that mean because of your background or position or assets or whatever that somehow there's a pecking order in God's love and that you can outrank somebody and look down on his other children? <clears throat> Here's a hint. No. <laughs> right? And so if we start thinking of ourselves as something, when we're nothing, he deceiveth himself. And that's a fun Greek word. The Strong says something like mind deluder. Can you delude your own mind thinking you're something? When, y'all, if you've been born again, you can see the truth. I had no good to offer, I have no merits. That's the true depth of amazing grace that saved a wretch. And y'all put that on the application? One wretch. There's a lot of folks singing that song who don't sing it like they mean it applies to them. Look at all those other wretches, but not me. I was, I was pretty good. You know, you may put not so bad or better than so-and-so. Or I try to do good things, and therefore I'm, I'm, I'm worthy. The beauty is that when you're born again, you can see that wretch is not hyperbole. It's not an exaggeration. We're all together unclean. 
and yet Christ still loved you. And so when you're dealing with other ones that Christ also loves, does he love you more than them? No. Are you better than them? <laughs> right. So don't think yourself up. And this, this, this goes to sound doctrine affects how we do things. Right? If we have the right doctrine, then we can have the proper motivation for how we interact with each other. So this is not, I'm better than you and I'm here to fix you. It's, I love you. Christ loves me. I have no value by myself. He still loves me. He loves you. His word says this. This is what we need to do because this is what his word says because we both need to be like that. Now, can we get into trouble um, when we start giving advice to other people? It could be good advice and yet we haven't been heeding it ourselves. Yeah, we can get in trouble. Jesus had a parable about that, right? Uh, the, the toothpick and the two-by-four. Moat and beam, whatever, right? Brother Zach has a little speck of lint in his eye, and I'm going over there to try and pluck it out. Oh, let me get that for you. And I got a baseball bat sticking out of my eye. Am I going to be able to get close enough to see real clearly to get it out? No, you say, hey, dummy, get the baseball bat out of your eye so you can be useful and you can see clearly. Well, the lesson in that, obviously, y'all heard that a thousand times, right? Is that how can you help your brother clean up an issue in his life if you're giving him sound truth and yet you're ignoring that truth in your own life? Right? So that's something we need to take into respect. Yes, we need to encourage one another. Yes, we need to give him truth. But... Start giving advice to yourself first. <laughs> right? Now, does this mean I have to be perfect before I can give anybody sound biblical truth? No. If that were the standard, I would be sitting there and no preacher could preach. Right? So sometimes you just have to acknowledge, hey, I've noticed this issue. I struggle with it too. Acknowledge it. Right? Heck, sometimes that's the best thing of just being honest with it. Folks knowing that they're not the only one and maybe we can hold each other accountable. Right? Two people who struggle with the same thing, they may be the best accountability partners because they understand what the other person is going through. Does that take being vulnerable? Yeah. Does it take caring enough about someone else to be vulnerable? Yeah. Right? Is loving one another hard? Yeah. That's why it says labor of love, right? It's not all sunshine and roses, right? Is it worth it? Yeah. One, you're commanded to. But two, life is better when you're obedient. Not always easier. You may still have hard times, and odds are you will. But there is safety, and there is contentment, and there is peace and knowing that I'm striving to, Lord, to serve the Lord with everything I've got to the best of my ability, there's a real security in that. If a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, right, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not... And another. Alright, that seems kinda of, kinda of random. What what was he talking about here? 
jump down to verse 12. He's reacting to the motivation of these teachers. Just like the scribes and Pharisees who would cross a thousand miles in order to convert one person to Judaism. Call them proselytes. He said they would they would make all this effort to convert someone else so that they have to keep the law and they get circumcised. You can see, hey, we got another head count, right? But were they making any effort to keep it themselves? Now they made a show of it. Right? Jesus would say, you look like whitewashed tombs. Right? You're purdy on the outside, got a fresh cone of paint, but in the inside you're still rotten, full of dead men's bones. Right? And so here... These teachers had that same motivation is that they wanted to be able to say, look at the people that I have saved, right? Because they were walking over here and now I've got them and now they're circumcised and you can see my little pile there on the floor, right? That's, they're now part of my head counts. Who are they? They're glorying in the work that these men are doing over here, the ones that they're, they're, they're following them. And that comes back to, to them, right? They want, they want that, right? Modern equivalent? Well, how many souls have you saved? What? You get around preachers from other denominations, that question will be asked. And you will be shocked when your faces you you answer back. Zero. How long have you been preaching? Right? I've saved zero souls. All souls that are going to be saved and are saved are saved by Jesus Christ. He didn't say, Peter, go save the souls of my sheep. He said, go feed them. That's my job. And what do I feed you? Well, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. I feed you the word. I direct you back to the word. I refocus you on Christ and the word, who is the word, Right? And so, here in verse 12 it says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Say, so, alright, we want to have this show in the flesh, right? You get circumcised, then we can say to everyone else, look, there's nothing wrong with following Christ. We're still keeping the law. You don't have to be mean to us. Don't kick us out of your club. We're still on the inside. right? Because there was a real cost for following Christ back then. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. So those who are Jews, they, they don't keep it. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Right? So as a, as a pastor and a teacher, I have to tell you the word. I have to tell you the truth. I have to be the watchman on the wall. But I get zero credit for how y'all respond to it. Right? It's not, you know, to my glory or benefit if y'all are doing the right thing. It's to my danger if I don't speak the truth. And it's greatly to my danger if I say something that's not true. But each of us is accountable for our own conduct. right? I don't get a pass on my nasty hidden sins if I can just teach enough of y'all to do what's right. And that's, that's hypocrisy. That is playing the part. Right? So that's what he's saying here is that every man shall prove his own work. He'll test your own self. That's the idea of looking, am I walking in the way that's right? Not am I teaching others the right way, but am I? Right? Now, should we teach others? Yes. But we need to be teaching ourselves first. Let every man prove his own work, 
Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So, again, I don't get any credit. And you don't get any credit for how somebody else is walking, right? We're responsible for our own, own conduct, right? For every man shall bear his own burden. It's like, wait, it just said, bear you one another's burden. Different burden. This is your task. This is your, your invoice. You have been given a task here below. You're ultimately responsible for it. Right? That's one of the things, you got young kids, you're talking about personal responsibility. Is that, you know, you grow up. There's not going to be the teacher sitting over you and making sure that you're doing the things that you need to do. It's that you will be accountable. That whether you rise or fall on that day by your actions and often your attitude. Right? And so we're responsible for ourselves. Let every man bear his own task, his own invoice, his own burden. Okay? Verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Y'all already live this out. There are other verses that we could go through over in 1 Corinthians um, we won't for this morning. The basic principle is here is when men are trying to teach you the Word of God, you're to support them. Right? If they're feeding you spiritual things, that takes time out of their, their life, in which they could be out pursuing, you know, the carnal things. You gotta eat. Um, not carnal in a bad seat sense, but you have, physically have to have food and shelter and water, right? So it's you communicate those back. Communication, that word is equates to giving. Right? You can see that in Paul's letter of communicating good things, providing for the poor. And so here, y'all do that. I'm grateful for that. It's not something I feel like I, I need to, to teach because y'all had a, a heart for supporting a full-time pastor before I got here, and that's that's amazing. Um, have to continue the effort, Right? That's not something that runs on autopilot. Um, but that is a good thing. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. All right? So you're, you're giving unto those that teach. There, there was a time among our people where that attitude wasn't there. And for many, it's still not there. The idea is if you fed the preacher more than you know enough a tank of gas to get him to come preach, well, he's going to get... I don't know, worldly something. I, I don't really understand the rationale, but the idea was that you, know, you keep him just about at starvation rations and let him go work his farm. Um, and that's not consistent. Right? I mean, you, you can, but there's there's limited time and energy and effort that he'll have to be able to, to give back to spiritual things. And so I'm grateful that that's not an attitude here. All right? I know that I'm... I'm the Lord has exceptionally blessed my family in being here. And this may not even be the right time to to, to talk about it, but you know, after for being here for, for four years and y'all have you know taken care of us. we I know we're a little body, but we haven't missed a meal or come anywhere close to it. And so we're grateful to be here and we're grateful to see the fruits that y'all are bearing out in obedience to what he said. That's a good thing. Do I get any credit for that? No. God gets all the credit. Right? He gets all the glory. Alright. All right. That continues on in verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. All right. The wheel goes out and he sows his wheat field. And for some reason, he bought corn. And he puts corn out in the field. How much wheat is going to grow up? If you don't plant any, right. What you plant is what comes up. All right. We don't use the term sowing and reaping very often, but that's the idea. What you plant, that's what's going to be there at harvest time. And so the illustration here is God's not mocked. All right? To mock God is to have something come to pass that, that doesn't please Him or that can somehow get around Him. Y'all ever gotten around your parents once or twice? Kind of get that mischievous look on your face. You're like, uh-huh, I pulled one over on them. All right, well, that's, that's kind of mocking your parents. Your parents aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. God is. All right? You won't pull one over on God. And so that's the lesson. There's, there's no end around. What a man soweth that he shall also reap. So he that soweth to the flesh. Who, he who's planting to the flesh. That whole list of things over there in the, the, the flesh. If you're living a life that plants those things, do you know the only thing that gets reaped from that? Corruption. Ruin. Decay. Is there any time your life will get better when you indulge in the works of the flesh? In the long run, no. You may deceive yourself. You may say, well, if I, if I do this, then I can get this much money, and then I can have this toy, and this toy, and this toy, and you can feel like things are better, but it's just a rotten cancer. Right? The end of it is a corruption. The end of it is ruin. There's nothing of sowing to the flesh doesn't reap good things. God's not mocked. You're not going to pull one on him. Well, I'm going to serve God, but I'm also going to serve the world, and I'm going to have the best of world, both worlds. No. Jesus said you can't do that. Right? You can't have two masters. You're going to love one, you're going to hate the other. Right? And guess what? God's jealous. He's not interested in halvesies. All right? He wants you all. And he will teach you because he's bought you. Ha! You're already his. He will teach you. And sometimes that hurts. Not a permanent hurting of being cast out and rejected, but a hurting like it's like our, our rear ends can hurt when we're little kids, right? When our parents had to adjust our attitude, not because they're mean, but because they loved us and wanted us to learn what was right. Well, the Lord does that, but he's got a bigger stick. He's got a whole lot more options in his tool bag. Right? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We also could call this, we could sum this up to consequences. There are consequences for our actions. If you are doing wrong, do not be surprised when you suffer consequences for that wrong action. Does that mean God doesn't love you? No. Often allowing you to suffer those consequences is a way of him showing that he loves you. Right? You can read throughout the Psalms about David being so frustrated. He's seeing all these wicked folks living so wickedly, and yet the Lord's not bringing down the hammer on it. How long, Lord? How long? Why aren't you going to punish them? Why they just get off scot-free? Job and his buddies would have a whole conversation about that, right? Right? But eventually, what will happen? The Lord will address it. He's not mocked. Now, he's long-suffering, and he's patient, and he'll buy his time, but it will be addressed. It may not be in this lifetime. You could observe someone who's just pure wickedness from start to finish, 
Is the Lord going to be mocked? No. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. Right? And so if the Lord is kicking your teeth in, it may not be pleasant. Maybe smashing your thumb, right? But it's because he loves you. And he loves you enough to teach you and remind you and remind you and remind you what is right and that he is holy. And as he is holy, and he's called you to be holy. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption and ruin destruction. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, don't get confused by this. There is a doctrine out there called prosperity doctrine that if you do what God says to do and you name it and claim it or whatever, then things will be really, 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 really good for you, often in a carnal sense, here in this world. What does it say we'll reap? Reap life everlasting. Are you going to receive that here? Well, you've got a down payment in the Holy Spirit. In that sense, you'll never die, but no. The benefit of the Spirit, right? The long-term inheritance, that which you're going to reap, is <coughs> still to come. There's no promise that just because you're doing what's right, you won't have hard times, that you won't get sick, you won't have job loss, you won't have houses burned down, you won't have cars that get stolen, right? And, and actually, often it's the inverse, is if you're doing the right, you shall suffer tribulation and persecution and hardship, right? And the Lord can use those in your life. Right? Over in Romans, it talked about tribulation worketh Patience. Y'all ever prayed for more patience? Right? Some folks say, don't pray for patience. No, it's okay to pray for patience. You need more patience. But don't be surprised that the method the Lord gives you is an opportunity to practice patience through tribulations. Any of y'all's patience get longer when you have little kids? Man. Much more long suffering, right? It gave you a lot of opportunities to practice tribulation. But it doesn't stop there. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience, experience. I've now lived through this hard time. I've seen the Lord carry me through. I've got an experience. Right? I can trust the Lord. And so when I get to that next one, I can approach it with what? More patience. I can still trust Him. Right? Patience, experience, and experience, hope. And this is not just wishy hope. This is an earnest expectation. Earnest expectation. Our hope is Jesus Christ. All right? Our hope, our earnest expectation is embodied in Jesus Christ. And He said some things. And if you have faith, you can believe Him. That He is who He says He is. That He's God. That He's going to come back. That's something to wait for. Right? Hope for. He's coming back. He's going to take us to be with Him where He is in an inheritance that's incorruptible, it can't be taken away, where there's no pain or sorrow or tears. 
where these bodies will be transformed into something that's called a glorified body. We'll be like Him without that old nature, without all the aches and pains and sorrow here, and we'll be with Him for forever. That's our hope. Right? Our hope isn't in, if I just get the right job, and I just get this straightened out, and if I just get this straightened out, and I just get this straightened out, and I just have this and this and this and this, then my hope will be, my, my life will be good. Right? Because what can happen to all of those things at any given moment? Bingo. They can all be taken away. If your hope is in your job, the Lord can take that away and reveal to you that you've put your hope in something that passes away. It can be in your family. Um, Job, he lost ten kids in a single day. Blesses the Lord who gave. Blesses the Lord who taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that hard to think about? Yeah, it's hard to think about. Because often we put our hope in things that will go away. But the hope that we have, that hope of eternal life, that hope of Jesus Christ, doesn't change. That's what gives you that anchor that goes within the veil. Right? We've been talking about the tabernacle on Wednesday nights. That veil that separated the ark from the rest, the holy, most holy. Right? That Jesus Christ goes through that veil in heaven itself. Right? And we have a hope that's affixed to Him. Right? That's sure and steadfast. It's not going to slip off. It's not going to be too weak. It's not going to fail. You ever have an anchor come loose and you're suddenly floating around when you really didn't want to be floating? Right? Or maybe you lose the anchor altogether. That's even scarier, right? The anchor's on the bottom. Now you're in trouble, right? It's not that kind of anchor. He has given us a line to Him by this, this hope, this firm expectation. The same way that if I were to take this and hold it over here, what do you firmly expect will happen if I let go? Right? Any of y'all think it's going to levitate? It's just a matter of time before it hits the ground, right? That's how it is for our hope of Christ. We're just waiting for Him to come back. It's not an if. It's just a when. Alright? Emphasis. Alright. So of the Spirit, what will we eventually reap? Life everlasting, eternal life. That which He's purchased, that inheritance that He's got for us. You earn that? No! Do you still walk in the Spirit? Yes, very much so. And so let us not be wearying well doing. Well, Lord, I'm doing what's right and it's not getting easier. Didn't say it'd get easier. <laughs> said, don't get tired. Keep going. For in due season, whose due season? God's due season. Right? At his exact time, Christ is going to return. Or he'll call you home. One or the other. Either case, it's going to be good. For in due season, we shall reap. Reap what? Life everlasting. If we faint not. If we faint not. Is, this, is your eternal life dependent upon your fainting? No, it's not. But unfortunately, there are examples in Scripture of those who would say that they believed and they walked for a little time and then they got over it. 
And all that is is that they didn't really believe. They didn't really have faith. It wasn't... A carnal person can only endure the life of being a real follower of Christ for so long. And it's like, no, this ain't worth it. If you don't have the Holy Spirit within you paying those daily dividends to you, dividends something that little bit you get, right? a little bit of benefit feel, right? If you don't have that, then, y'all, this is, this is a pretty sorry life. You don't really have that hope. And with that, that hope, if all you've got is I'm just going to follow Christ here in this world and there's nothing that comes and He hasn't done anything to secure me, y'all, that's pretty miserable. And so that's what it's talking about there, if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, therefore, that's a because, right? Because of what's all been said, because of right Christ has done, because of how you're called to live your life walking in the Spirit, because of how we're patiently bearing one another in our faults, we're not thinking too highly of ourselves, we're caring for those who teach us in the Word, and we're trying to actively so live things out in the Spirit, we're not being discouraged just because things aren't getting easy here and now. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Alright? Doing good. Y'all are just a bunch of do-gooders. Thank you. That's what we're supposed to do. But notice it says, as you have opportunity. The Lord will open doors for you to do what's right. Sometimes you won't walk through them. That there is a sin of omission. Alright? Things that we fail to do that we're supposed to do, those are wrong too. They don't glorify God. Sometimes when we do the wrong thing on purpose, that's a sin of commission. That's how Brother Joel Reagan always sins of omission and commission. Commission. But he gives the opportunities. Now, if you're distracted and your priorities are on the things of this world and you are just chasing anything other than God are you more than likely to miss those opportunities? Right? Y'all ever been playing with the radio and the GPS and talking to somebody in the car and you're really supposed to make that turn a quarter mile ago? You missed it. Why? You were distracted. You weren't focused on what you was supposed to be doing. And so there's a call there for our, for our diligence and attention and effort. So if we're supposed to be looking for opportunities to do good, especially those of the household of faith, does that mean that we're to only do good to those within the church? No. It says especially. That means in particular, you really better be looking there because why? You'll probably have more opportunities because you know them better and you, you know, Lord give you that chance. And they're His people, right? Love them as much as Christ loves you. But, oh, now, not every time that you see a need is it your job to fix it. This is part of that discernment and maturity, right? Christ, when he saw the thousands that were with him, right? They've been there. How many days has it been since they'd eaten? This is the miracle of Lowe's, right? Three days. And he didn't want to send them home so hungry that they pass out 
and faint on the road. And so what did he do? He fed them. In that circumstance, the Lord said, these people need to be fed. Now, a group of folks after that said, hey man, we got some bread, let's make this guy our king. And they were ready to make him king by force. You know what he didn't do to those folks? He didn't feed them again. <laughs> they wanted to be fed. So, y'all, discernment. Right? This is not, I can't tell you how to handle every situation that you come across in your life. But as we're in the Word, when we're growing up and we're maturing and we're trying to seek the Lord and do what's right, we'll be presented with opportunities. And we need to make wise decisions and we need to be alert about it, not just kind of, y'all ever zoned out while you're driving and you get 40 or 50 miles down the road and you have no idea how you got there? Sometimes that's our week. Sometimes that can be a year. We kind of... Huh. Right. We don't need to be zoned out Christians. Right? How can you be a follower of Christ if you're not looking at Him? Right? He needs to be our focus. Looking to the author and finisher of our faith. Let's be focused. Do good. Let us do good. That's a verb. Active, right? Doing good unto all men, especially them of the household of faith. He kind of wraps it up here. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Right? He's written six chapters of these folks. He, he loves them. He wants them to know. And earlier he said, I wish I could stand there and change my voice so that you would know how serious this all is. I've written you a large letter. And he goes on to talk about those who are desiring to have, they, they desire to glory in you, making these changes in their doctrine so they get credit he says, but will I do that? Verse 14 says, no. But God forbid that I should glory except save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Has the world been crucified to you yet? Are you still trying to have it both ways? To be crucified means to be put to death, right? The world put to death to me, and me put to death for the sake of the world. Sometimes I'm chasing the world, sometimes the world's chasing you, right? Maybe the folks that you hung out with before, they really don't understand what you're doing now, and they may think you're dumb. Um, and may make fun of you and may try to draw you back. That's, that's common. This is the idea of it. I'm not going to glory in, you know, and again, the context here is talking about converting other people to my doctrine, right? I'm not glorying. I'm only glorying in the fact Jesus Christ. Right? He's worthy of it. He's the only one who's lived a perfect life. He's the only one who gave himself voluntarily. No man could take his life, right? He laid it down on his own. He's the one that we're going. And by him, because of that, when I'm baptized, I'm going into a grave symbolically with him. And I'm dying to this world, that old man, that old flesh, I'm dying to it. It's no longer what I'm going to live in. And I'm coming up in newness of life in that Holy Spirit that he's given me. And I'm going to walk in the Spirit. That's what that symbol is. This is the beginning of a new life. 
let me not go back and try and hold on to that dead, rotting one. Okay. Verse 15, 4, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Right? So he says, yep. With Jesus Christ, if you are circumcised because you're a Jew, right, that doesn't add anything to him. Right? Doesn't add anything to the work. It doesn't make any doesn't work anything. If you're uncircumcised, it doesn't hinder anything. It doesn't add or anything. Right? It's irrelevant. What is relevant? <coughs> that a new creature has been born. You, when you're born again, are a new creature. Ephesians says, created unto good works, that you should walk in them. Right? So you've been made anew. You can walk in the fullness of life. You can walk before your God in a clear conscience, knowing that He's paid for every sin, past and yet to be. But that's not licensed to continue to just willfully sin and add more and more to what Lord, the Lord had to pay. Right? A new creature. And... As many as walk according to this rule. So he's saying, you know, those who are following this teaching, that Jesus Christ is sufficient, that your works can't add to his work, and that you'll follow after him in your life, walking in the Spirit. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon them. Now, did he issue that for the troublemakers? No, he wished the Lord bring judgment upon them. And he would. He said, I would that they even were cut off which trouble you. And he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Is there a price to be paid for one who lies to the Lord's sheep? Yeah! Right? God's not mocked. Right? This is a weighty and dangerous thing. But as many as walk according to this rule, truth of the gospel, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. That's that inclusive term. Israel of God, that's the, that's the name for the whole family of God. Whether you're genetically Jewish or not. Right? And he talked about that earlier in the letter, about how we're all descendants of Abraham as part of being that family of faith. So upon them, the Israel of God, you, peace and mercy. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. Don't let anybody accuse me of teaching this sorry doctrine that will avoid persecution, right? Avoid the, the cost of the cross, all right? For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had those whip marks on his back. What was that? It doesn't matter. What was that? 195 whip strokes, beaten with rods several times, stoned so effectively the guys doing the stoning thought he was dead, multiple shipwrecks, right? He has in his body the scars of willing to preach the truth. He says, don't. Don't trouble me of trying to say that I've watered it down. All right? He's living it out and bearing the, the cost for that. Right? Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Right? Walking in the spirit. Let it be the Galatians. Amen.